McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to episode 211 of the PO Forecast. It's been a busy week in League One this week. Obviously we've got the Pompey 1-0 win back to winning ways against Fleetwood Town, bottom of the league Fleetwood Town. And two managerial exits in the league as well with Matty Taylor, ex-Pompey Matty Taylor, unfortunately leaving Shrewsbury. And Michael Appleton, also ex-Pompey Michael Appleton, uh, getting given the boot from Charlton last night at the time of recording after 10 winless games in a row and one win in 15 that leaves them just four points above the relegation zone. But we are not here to talk about Charlton Athletic. We are not here to talk about Shrewsbury Town. We are here to talk about Portsmouth. And when I say we, I mean myself and the bearded wonder that is Freddie Webb. Freddie, lovely to chat to you. How are you? How's your week been? Oh, not bad, Andy. Yeah, well, it's previously my week was literally just work pretty much, but now I've got a couple of days off going to Isle of Wight, which would be nice. And yeah, Pompey back to winning ways on the Saturday. Can't be bad, can it? Well, it certainly can't be something we complain about. Absolutely not. Um, Fred, our plan for this evening, um, we are going to start by looking back very briefly at the Fleetwood game. We are then going to focus our attention to Pompey new signing Miles Pert-Harris and a couple of other transfer rumours that Pompey have been linked to with some fairly good authority before we flick our attentions forward to Saturday, travelling up to Stoke to watch Pompey play against Port Vale in the league. So, Fred... Let's kick things off. I should probably say before we get going that there is someone who's conspicuous by their absence this evening. Probably should have led with that. Uh, Hugh is unfortunately unwell tonight, so uh, just got the the two of us having a, a very brief chat about uh, all things Pompey. Hugh, get well soon. Sorry to hear you're under the weather. Freddie, Fleetwood, change attack from John Messino here. Uh, when the team lineup came out, you normally expect to see right, right back, left back, two centre-backs, and then you start putting the pattern of the midfield together as you look down that starting 11, got as far as Shaughnessy, Raggett, Howler, and then you realise that things are a little bit different. So credit to John Messino for changing things up when we've had a fairly stagnant few games. Three centre-backs and two wing-backs. What were your immediate thoughts before the game, seeing that we had this change of style with three centre-backs starting? Initially, I thought very worried because we've roughly not in the starting 11 or the bench. I assume that he was injured and it, Turned out to be the case. He had a, apparently an innocuous neck injury. Um, Andrew Moon said he's still touch and go for for this Saturday upcoming against Port Vale. So may end up seeing the back three again. I was worried. I was trying to 
piece them ahead who would play where. But overall, the players did an excellent job. It wasn't a spectacular performance or a spectacular result. Obviously, winning 1-0 against a side bottom of the league and not showing very much. But the fact they had to have a change of formation completely from scratch. John Massino said in an interview that it was the first time he's ever used a back three. So that was something and trained it as well. So all the players are in new positions. Some players coming in from the out from the cold, like Riley Towler. I thought he had a very solid game considering he hadn't played for an awful one long while. Terry Devlin putting in a shift at right wing back as well for a time. Becoming a proper utility player, filling in in all those roles. And yeah, Pompey had a few chances here and there. And But the most important, I don't think, though, thankfully, was the three points. Uh, I think we're getting to the part where we're sort of parking performances, aren't we? Where the result is all that matters and then we'll look at the performances in a longer-term view after the season and we'll see where it goes. But no, thankfully, they were able to adapt to all those changes. Yeah, one of the statements you said near the start there seems a bit of an oxymoron to me, an innocuous neck injury. Um, I've never come across it. You can have an innocuous neck injury. You could could wake up with a stiff neck. I'm not saying that's what happened, but there we are. Yeah, I mean, neck injury to me suggests, (laughs) I mean, it's probably because of my specialty, but uh, suggests severe neurological damage. But um, yeah, I'm very glad to hear that it's not as serious as first thought. So as you say, uh, we could be seeing Rafty back this weekend, but I'd be surprised if he's risked, if it's a 50-50. So we're more likely to see him come back for the following game, potentially over Oxford Tuesday night that we might see him back for. Yeah, we look at the game and as you say, it's one of those where we just have to grind out a result, really. I think we said beforehand it was never going to be an attractive game to watch. Fleetwood aren't set up at the moment to play attractive football. What they need to be doing is picking up results to get them clear of the relegation zone, which is looking unlikely. We won't spend a a huge amount of time going through this game because I'd rather we flicked our attention to, to the next Sort of the next step of the season. We do need to comment on the goal, however. A ball forward from Marlon Pack in our defensive, or just at the edge of our defensive third through to Kamara. And when he picks up the ball there, you don't really think a huge amount is on, but it's a case of one touch or first touch to get past his man and then aggressively running towards the opposition goal. And one of the critiques I think we've had of, of some of the Pompey performances in recent weeks has been that quite slow, almost maybe stagnant is too harsh, but quite slow build-up and a lack of incision when you compare, you know, say what Lake Norrient did to us last week where they were just running at the back four constantly and we we didn't really have that cutting edge. Whereas this was an absolutely ruthless, quick interchange from defence or the defensive midfield position into attack. And then Kamara takes two touches, skins his man and just runs directly at the Fleetwood goal. Still not entirely sure how this went in, Freddie. Uh, as it left his boot, I was thinking, oh, it's going far corner. What a, what a finish. However, it kind of goes in the middle of the goal. I, I didn't, yeah, I'm still not entirely sure how this went in. I don't see that it took a deflection. I'm wondering how it beat the keeper. It must have moved a, a hell of a lot in the air to do so. What, what were your reflections on the goal? Yeah, the Fleetwood fans were not very appreciative of their goalkeeper Jay Lynch there in goal. Looked apparently a bit unsighted, but before the actual shot was taken, it was played all the way out from the back through Riley Towler first. Plays a nice little inside ball to Marlon Pack, and that assist is wicked. That is probably one, I would say, one of the passes of the season. And I know I'm biased because I like Marlon Pack as a player, but it's a through ball, but just completely bypasses three Fleetwood midfielders. 
and their compact shape is just completely gone. And then Kamara actually has the space to actually run into. He, he beats two players in the dribble. And I think Guy Whitcomb said on the commentary that it was pretty much the first bit of bravery, the proper forward momentum was that shot where Kamara literally picked up the ball, put it past two players, settled it onto his left foot where he had lots of time. Fleetwood defenders backed off him to allow him to have the shot, the low quality chance if we're talking about expected goals terms. Hits it nicely on the side foot. It does curve mm. a little bit and then goes in. Doesn't go right in the corner. Jay Lynch probably not expecting it, but it's hit with a fair amount of power. So no, I think we'll just give Kamara that one as a nice finish. And we'll ignore the fact that the Fleetwood fans aren't really supportive of their keeper, shall we? Well, I want to look on this positively. Absolutely. Um, it's not all plain sailing for Pompey. With, I think it was Jaden Stockley had an effort trying to turn in a sort of a cross-come shot from the right that goes just wide. At any point during this game, Fred, was this one of those ones where it was squeaky bum time, you really feel like Fleetwood are in, in serious danger of getting back into the game? Or was this one of the calmer... One nil results you felt that we had um, that we we have seen at times this season, where even with only a one goal cushion, you are actually you know fairly confident that we're going to see the game out. I think it changed a lot in the second half. Actually, I thought Pompey had a very solid first half where they controlled a lot, obviously controlled a lot of possession throughout the game and the pressing, but also controlled the pattern of the play as well. Even after going one nil up, they were able to knocking it around a little bit. I think Bishop had a chance in the first half. Midfielders were winning the ball high up the pitch, which was nice. But in the second half, Fleetwood pressured Pompey a little bit more. They were winning the ball in Pompey's defensive third as well, due to long passes to try and clear it. That Jaden Stockley chance was probably the pick of the bunch, where he basically diverted it from Boson Lowell's shot. There were a couple of other chances. That Bishop one-on-one, where he was about six yards out, where it was pretty much played all the way into the penalty area. That was a rough one, but I think... A lot of plays has to be given to the keeper for him actually rushing out and being able to close him down. The angle wasn't brilliant. It was still, it was the highest quality chance in the entire game. If you're just looking at expected goals on Scout, that one-on-one in the second half. But it wasn't as easy as it could have been because with the keeper closing him down, also the pass was quite close to him. There's now a bit of pressure on him now because it's one goal in the last 13 from open plays. So it's a bit, you know, but we'll see. And later, later on, Fleetwood had a lot of speculative shots and there was a lot of pressure, but nothing completely concrete. I think Ronan Coughlin managed to actually dribble into the penalty area at one point, but Norris was able to snap that up pretty well. Yeah, Norris made one good save to, to keep it at 1-0, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it shows in the stats. I know Pompey only had seven shots in this entire game with three of them on target. Fleetwood only had 10. That's the same. Expected goals-wise, it was 0.77 for Pompey with that Bishop one-on-one being the highest one. And then Fleetwoods was 1.19, but it was just loads of their shots incrementally. It wasn't like a massive clear-cut chance that's prepped, but that's put it all up there. So there was pressure in the second half, but I think Pompey managed to deal with it relatively well, considering the circumstances. Their advanced passing metrics were good. They are overall, they still deployed a high press, according to the analytics, even with the shape, which is quite good. So even though the shape was an issue and the different players came in they were still able to deploy that which was nice and they managed to get it over the line and I think that's fine <laughs> at first I thought oh god Pompey are scraping a 1-0 win against Fleetwood but I think there are enough circumstances in this game specifically 
where we can look at it and move on. It was something to build on and something for the players to hold on to that with those three points. Yeah, 100%. And at the end of the day, especially if you're looking at other results around us, so at time of recording, you look at the results from last night where Derby have, have dropped all three points and lost against Reading, Oxford and Barnsley. I mean, Barnsley have turned Oxford over 1-0. Um, unfortunately, you know, Bolton seemed to just keep winning at the moment, as do Peterborough. But outside of that, having said that, Bolton lost at the weekend. But but my perception is that Bolton seemed to keep winning every time I look, um, except that Leighton Orient game, which makes me feel slightly better about our defeat to them as well. Good to see Dan Adji causing some other clubs' problems as well as us. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is one of those where for the game week, it's a, a net profit in terms of points for us versus Derby and versus Oxford, although we're now looking in the rearview mirror at Barnsley as well. Um, although, yeah, Bolton somehow took three points off Cheltenham. Um, I don't know if you saw the, the goal that Cheltenham had disallowed, Freddie, the, the offside goal that was... I don't want to talk about it. Ah, it's unbelievable. Oh, God. I mean, we talk about refereeing decisions evening out over the season. That's going to make things very uneven at the end of the season if Bolton end up winning the league by a small amount of points because, my God, it was obvious, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I genuinely don't know how they picked up three points in that game. Cheltenham seemed to do everything except score. Uh, the Yeah, we don't want to get too hung up on referees, but... I mean, even I watched the Northampton-Charlton game last night that turned out to be Appleton's final game in charge and the refereeing and the linesmaning was horrendous. The uh, Charlton got a red card and the, the sec- it was a second yellow and the offence that their player seemed to commit was to be studded halfway up his shin after getting to the ball first with one foot. And the I don't think they could appear that either. second booking. Sorry? I don't think I don't think you could appeal second bookings, can no, you? you? So, I didn't, you so, can't so, he, so he's suspended for that for that stupid decision yeah. as well. <laughs> he's suspend he's suspended for the having the absolute cheat of getting to the ball first and then getting snapped by a Northampton player. Uh, there was also a Northampton penalty. There was an absolute stonewall. I don't know if you saw it where the where Maynard Brewer, the Charlton keeper, came out to to try and save a one on one and literally just cleared out the striker with his legs as he took the ball around him and the ref gave a free kick for diving <laughs> so i don't know what you do with that honestly so yeah the officiating and the obviously yeah that that goal the offside in the uh, the Cheltenham game it's not been a great week for EFL officials to be fair but i guess yeah moral of the story here we picked up three points in a game where you know we don't take for granted picking up three points against those bottom sides we haven't done it particularly well against teams like, you know, Cheltenham at the bottom and our previous fixture against Fleetwood. So absolutely not turning my nose up at three points. And uh, you take it, you run, you move on to the next game, which is at a poor band, which we'll speak about soon. Freddie, Pompey in the news. We have got sort of transfer stuff to talk about, a brief bit of international watch or whatever Hugh enjoys calling it with a bit of a Cassini Yangi info and a bit of Haji Minoga info who's actually playing at the moment on my second screen um, in AFCON Tanzania need to win that game to have a, a chance of going through to the next round I believe against the Democratic Republic of Congo currently nil nil after 35 minutes but we will keep you updated I mean if you're listening you probably know what the result was that's how time works but yeah we've got a bit of that to do before we look forward so Fred Hit me with some news. I don't know what you've got prepped. I came home and instead of prepping, I closed my eyes and apparently my body needed to sleep for an hour. Well, or well, should we go with the big story first? Yeah. Let's absolutely. go with the signing of Miles Pert Harris, announced earlier this week on loan from Brentford. For those of you who don't know, he's a 21-year-old attacking midfielder on loan at Bombay until the end of the season. 
six foot two, so it was a very tall attacker playing in the midfield. Richard Hughes is familiar with him because last season he played in a wretched Forest Green Rovers side that finished rock bottom of the League One, but he was one of the two standout players in that side alongside Charlie Savage. Is that opposed to the wretched Forest Green Rovers side that are currently on course to finish at the very bottom of League Two this year? Oh God, they're a disaster. But anyway, Rough. about that. Um, <laughs> and also another little thing: he was he was a Chelsea Academy product, and he was in the youth setup while John Harley was there. So there's a couple of links to Put Harris beforehand. He's played in the Premier League for Brentford this season on three appearances, but he's only played 13 minutes, so I'm not going to go into detail on those 13 minutes. He's, uh, he's got a couple of FA Cup appearances, I think, for them where he's, he's got, got two for Brentford minutes. as well. Yeah. yeah, Most of my analysis that I've done on him is from the 40 appearances he made for Forest Green last season, where 33 of them were starts. Overall, as a summary, before I go into some of the more advanced stuff and Andy can ask me about it, he's a goal-scoring attacking midfielder who's comfortable in possession rather than the creative number 10 playmaker that we've been babbling on about for years. He's not the most creative player in the world, but he's very technical and can make very simple and effective passes and can help with the build-up player as well. He can drop deeper. And when he's on the ball, he can pass to a more creative player. That's absolutely fine. He can be a focal point in the final third with with him being six foot two. Two of his goals, two of his five goals for his screen last season were from set pieces. So adding another thing to what Pompey are good at, because Pompey likes to utilise their set pieces. And he could also create space for wingers by doing that. He can also be a player to dribble down the channel and latch on to flick-ons from Colby Bishop. Or from the fruit, or from a fruit ball from Marlon Pack or Joe Morell or something. He, he he's got quite good off the ball positional sense, and he was appreciated by Forest Green fans for having a lot of hard, well, hard work and high work rate ethic off the ball. So he's going to be somebody who, when he loses the ball, he's going to be able to put the tackle in to try and get the ball back on his feet and then pass and then make a run, which is the sort of thing that Massino likes from his midfielders. In terms of his analytics, uh, I compared them to. Mid centre midfielders who played at least 15 games in that League One season last year. And bearing in mind he was playing for Forest Green, he was above average for accurate passes to the final third per, in terms of accuracy and had a reasonably high clip per 90. He was about average for progressive passes, so passes that progress the play an awful lot depending on where you are on the pitch. And his expected goals per 90 was 0.11, which is around about average for centre midfielders. Below average for shots, so he's not he wasn't booting the ball at the goal every two minutes. But even though, bear in mind though, Forest Green didn't have a lot of shots at all uh, over the, uh, as a whole because of how bad they were. He was about average for dribbling and dribbling accuracy. But overall, I think it's a very astute signing. I think we've looked at the problems that Pompey have going forward and goals in games is one of them. You, you I don't, I think we don't expect this team to batter the opposition do we really there haven't been that many high scoring games from Pompey but you expect them to win games 1-0 2-0 relatively comfortably so having a number 10 with his goal scoring edge in is pretty good and he's not a slouch when it comes to being a creative player either and we've seen what happens with players who have played for a le- in a lesser side if their analytics are a bit average go to a team that control games and they usually turn out a bit better like Regan Paul for example as a centre back what have you seen from Pert Harris so far? I, I I think it's a reasonable get in terms of cost or whatever, if we had to bring that into it. I don't know the numbers at all. I assume Pompey would be paying a 
reasonable clip of his Premier League wage. Not not like massively, not all of it, obviously, but a reasonable clip. Yeah. And it probably gives them the money to go after other signings as well. Because Andrew Moon said they still want to probably still want an attacker, so somebody can play on the wing and up front, and also right side of centre half. In terms of the finances, I'm not sure if Portsmouth have got the same type of deal as, uh, say, Derby County, for example. They've signed uh, Blackett Taylor from Charlton. Oh, don't remind me. And a- they've technically got him on a loan because the Derby boss, Paul Warren, has got a. They've got separate loan and permanent budgets. Sorry, my hamster's just going a little bit mental, as she does weekly while I'm on the podcast. Tick off that bingo card. Yeah, so they've got separate loan and permanent budgets uh, from what I've heard which is why Blackett Taylor is there on technically a loan till the end of the season and then they will purchase him because it refreshes their budget for the next football season so I don't know if that's what we've got mirrored probably won't have that with Kurt Harris but in Brentford keeping him so so it's it's no 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 no, no. I'm not saying that but I'm, I'm saying potentially that's in terms of the budgeting of a loan I'm saying that that's potentially a separate pot of money than it would be for us bringing in a permanent which in our case, yeah, would be a different player. We're obviously not going to pick him up at the end of the season. Absolutely not. Unless we go up and he's completely unwanted at Brent. Sort of, uh, I was going to say Brentwood. That's not a football club. Brentford. But yeah, to support your point in terms of the goal scoring, Fred, there, uh, although obviously we, we sit top of the league, albeit having played one more game than the rest of the top six except Derby, uh, we have scored the fewest goals in the top six, although our, obviously our goals conceded. We've conceded the joint lowest as well. So a very you know different style of play rather than someone like Peterborough who score loads of goals for fun but also concede more than us and we've kind of got the more as you say the control the game win by hopefully a two goal margin so you avoid that squeaky bum time type of thing but in terms of his style of play there you mentioned that he's not your sort of technical cam so potentially for, for one role we've got Tom Lowry now hopefully who will stay fit and has looked good since coming back so hopefully in the technical kind of role we've got Lowry and then you'd expect Per Harris to fulfill a different type of role or yeah, to, to us, like to a, a Gary extent. Roberts type of role to a, to a certain extent and when I say he's not the creative playmaker I don't mean that's his, that that's his main focus he's still very technical on the ball and in possession and can pick out a pass very well and has got fairly good football IQ to be able to pick out a pass in the final third so so he's not he's not literally he's not going to be like a shadow striker playing behind Bishop and is looking to run on on the scraps some of the highlights I saw from him in the Forest Green shirt he had that one assist against Barnsley where he drifted to the right hand side and then played literally just a crossfield pass to Reese Brown who's on the edge of the area who's able to cut out to a strong foot and shoot but Harris can make passes like that there was another Assistance in City, where again he, he it was basically just a cut back to Jordan Garrick, who scored some of his goals. Whenever he's been in goal scoring position, he's ta- he's taken them very well. There was one against Accrington Stanley where he used his pace very well to run onto the ball, make one touch, and neatly, neatly just slot it around the keeper in a one on one, which is quite nice. Whereas obviously with certain through balls, that's not Bishop's strength, so that adds a little something else to this team. And then against Burton Albion he was able to score a relatively nice goal where he ran onto a header where it was a 50-50 with the defender and again take a couple of touches to get ahead of the centre half and then slot it around the keeper in a one-on-one and also he's another focal point from set pieces so I can see Pert Harris scoring a lot of goals in this team and being able to help with 
the attack of Pompey's attacking flow around the penalty area. My one downside is even though he's going to be quite good and work hard out of possession, he's not going to be able to do the defensive bits that Alex Robertson can do. Whereas the Pat Morrell Robertson trio was all very fluid and one of them dropped deep, the other moved forward, and they're able to rotate the play quite a bit. I don't see Pert Harris being able to do the defensive bits that Robertson can do. But then again, there probably weren't many players available who were literally like Alex Robertson and came in as an exact swap. So as a signing, I quite like it. I know it's a loan, but considering it's Pompey pushing to get promoted, I think looking short term in January is a good thing to do. Whereas they looked at Cam and I thought, okay, what is the best player we can get here for the lowest amount of money? And I think Pert Harris sort of fits that bill, but we'll also have to wait and see on what other players are going to come in. So no, I like the signing. I don't know what you think of it, Andy. Yeah, I'm keen, uh, to be honest with you. I think it's a promising signing. I mean, we run the risk of looking very, very stupid here because, you know, there is going to be a hit and miss rate with loans. But I mean, Rich Hughes' success rate with loan signing since joining the club has been way above what I'd consider average. I think we've got a really good hit rate. And again, no reason to doubt it um, on this one. Uh, Freddie, just before we we move on to the next stage, I have two maybe less podcasty things to to bring with you. Firstly, this is not helpful for our listeners because we're on a, an audio medium, but look how fat her face is right now. What have you been feeding her? Yeah, well, for, 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 for the listeners, this is Gida. And again, it's just causing a stir. She uh, is they had to take out the cage. Getting fat. Oh, she wasn't in a cage. She was in her <laughs> outdoor area because she's a spoiled little queen. No, she fills her food with her, her pouches with food. And when she does, she literally doubles in size and looks like a fat little. Yeah, you do. So you now have an obese hamster. That's what that's only in the from. cheeks. She holds it. It's all food around her face. And then she'll sort of, you know, like a, a oh, goodness, you know, like a, a mother bird feeds her young with regurgitated food. She'll put it all out into this pink house she's got. That in. is a brilliant picture you're painting for the listeners, Andy. Well done. Thank you. I I, I speak um, art with words. I'm, I'm very good at what I do. Uh, and the other... Oh, goodness me, one sec. She's dying. Oh, no, 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 don't jump. I'll see if that makes the cut. Um, the other thing to ask you about in a quick non-football-related uh, segue is how is moist January treating you? You've gone basically alcohol-free for the month. I know we took the mick last time, um, but... I mean, I'm going to take the mick this time as well. You haven't done dry January. You've done almost dry January. But how is it going? How are you finding not uh, I feel no different whatsoever, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, um, That's what I, I was hoping I to really hear as a health much. professional. Well, well, aside from uh, the odd bad hangover that I've missed, the entire point of it is just to be a bit healthier in January. And I'm the sort of person who drinks on social occasions. And it's January. We haven't had that many of them. And... The few times there have been, I've just had non-alcoholic stuff and it's been fine. May as well give it a go and do it properly this time rather than doing dry February last year where, and, you know, taking the mickey out of it. Because <laughs> it was a shorter month. I'll pick the shortest yeah, month literally. possible to go alcohol-free. I, I rate that, Fred. That's a, a good life choice. I mean, there's quite a few people seem to be doing these lifestyle changes at the moment. It's, it's good to see. I know Matt's doing extremely well with his. Rob's doing well with his. You lads are stepping it up. I'm very impressed. Oh, new year, new us. It will probably... We'll go to a pot in March, but we'll, we'll see. Or if Pompey get promoted, all that hard work is undone in a week. <laughs> Honestly, that's how I felt with Christmas. I felt like I did about two months of training in the space of four days. And uh, I did my body comp again the other day. I think it was about four days ago. 
And it took me about three weeks to undo the damage in terms of body composition that I did over four days at Christmas, which is, I'm quite proud of the amount of French fancies I ate. It's just depressing, isn't it? You can do all that hard work and then it'd be undone in four days. Yeah, it's like over an hour of cardio a day I do, five days a week, and then just ruin it by eating about three, I don't even know, we had three cakes going and we ate most of them over four days, our homemade cakes, plus French fancies, plus the matchmakers, plus the actual Christmas food, plus the chocolates. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, we can hold a lot of calories. I'm proud of us. But uh, yeah, it's it's good to see the group doing so well. So if you're one of those people doing your New Year's challenges to uh, to have a healthy start to the year, good on you and keep going. You are almost there for the end of January and uh, then you can undo all the hard work in the first four days of Feb or keep it going throughout the year. It's good. Um, either way, it's good for you. It's a good life choice. Um, Freddie, we should probably talk about some football. We've done Hamster. We've done... Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's go on to the second biggest news story of the week. Are we going Callum Lang? or We are indeed. We normally don't talk about transfer speculation on this pod because usually we have no idea if it's properly accurate or not. But there's been enough here in the media and different sources throughout the day where we're pretty where we have to talk about it essentially. So it starts off with Paul Kendrick and Wigan Today, their local paper. And it said that Vice Captain Callum Lang asked to leave the club. Previously, once he had one season in League One where he scored 15 goals and eight assists, and that's when they got promoted out of League One years ago. He's previously been had problems with a calf strain, but he was able to recover. But manager Sean Maloney told the paper that he was not playing due to transfer speculation. Maloney said, we've spoken about it, and so we'll have to wait for that situation to be resolved. I have nothing whatsoever negative to say about Callum. He's a brilliant boy, came for our academy, did absolutely brilliantly for me last year, and played when he wasn't getting paid. Maloney added that a solution has to be found, and he and Callum Lang won't be available for selection until the transfer speculation is sorted. And Maloney said that one club had submitted a verbal offer with other clubs also interested. Paul Kendrick mentioned Portsmouth and Rotherham by name in the reports. Didn't say which one did the verbal offer. Didn't say which one was in the hunt or the lead. Just mentioned that those clubs were interested. A couple of weeks ago, there were rumours that Derby were also interested in him, but I don't know. That was literally two weeks ago. So I don't know if there's anything to that or not as well. But yeah, it seems to be us. Derby yeah. and Rotherham, obviously at the very bottom of the championship. So I guess it depends, you know, on his side. Obviously, geographically, it's going to make a difference where he wants to actually move to, assuming he is leaving Wigan, which it looks like he will do. And whether you'd play in a, a championship team that is probably going to go down, or you've got to bet your house on, you know, which League One side is hopefully going to go up. And uh, obviously, we'd, we'd like to think that he'll land on the blue side of things and move down south. Um what are your thoughts on him as the the type of well, the type of player and what he would bring to that that Pompey side compared to where we've got those what we perceive as slight holes or lack of depth at the moment, Fred? Yeah, I'll go into that. There's a couple more bits in the media about him. As per Neil Allen, he said that he believes that the club made an inquiry about Callum Lang's availability at the end of last week, but no official bid was made. Uh, Richard Hughes also previously worked with Lang at Wigan, so there's a another connection there. Neil Allen spoke to John Massino, who said that Lang is an attacking player that has a good pedigree, but obviously said that he didn't want to discuss further because he's a club at a different team. Fair enough. That's what most managers do. In total for Wigan, Lang has made 143 appearances and scored 31 goals, and his contract expires at the end of next season. 
So any fee for Lang will be a bit higher because it's effectively got a season and a half to go. This season, Lang has made 29 appearances in all comps, scoring three goals and two assists. So it's not the most productive season of his. He's a bit of a utility player. He can play literally in any position across the back three behind Bish and can also play up front and has done for Wigan on occasion. Mostly this season, he's played in the right wing and in the middle behind the striker. Very aggressive off the ball, likes to dribble to an extent and likes to put a tackle in. I think for me, it's a strange one and it all depends on how much Wigan want to sell him for. He's 25, so he's entering his prime as well. So it's nice to have players knocking on the door of the first team in that age bracket. It's the age bracket that Pompey like to go after. It's an odd one because it does fulfil a need that Pompey have. I still think they're lacking depth on the wing. So if Lane or... Kamara and Akka then Lang gets the spot and could also take the starting spot from those two players. He can play what front if you, if Messino wants something else at striker. Let's say they want someone who's going to run onto channel balls or something. Lang can definitely do that. He's not the tallest, so he won't be too much hold-up play or anything, but he definitely offers something else. But he hasn't been very productive this season. He wasn't very productive last season for Wigan in the Championship either. So this season, that's his two league goals. They're from 3.06 expected, so lower, but then the expected goals rate isn't that high for an attacker either. And his one assist is from 1.45 expected assists. I haven't gone much deeper on his stats because I think we'll wait and see if he signs or not. But I think with many transfers, it will come down to the actual amount of money. I think, let's say, out of interest, and this is me plucking out the air, not using any sources whatsoever, I know nothing. Let's say it's half a million quid. I personally think that's too much. Personally, even though it feels a need that what Pompey have, he is not good enough of a player to be worth that half a million for me. But it is January and the price is inflated and Pompey are in a bidding war against other teams. So I understand if it hits that high and I think he would be a reasonable player to bring in. But I'm not entirely impressed. I'm sort of wavering. I'm in the middle with this one, to be honest. Interesting. I think you're kind of probably in the minority there from the extensive social media research I've done by scrolling down my For You on Twitter or X or whatever we call it these days. Um, I think, I mean, we know what social media responses are like to any sort of signing. You kind of, uh, you get that overwhelming positivity normally, which is nice and the opposite of what social media is normally like. So I'm not going to complain at that. But um, the figures I've seen thrown around, I mean, Wigan fans, I mean, take this with a not even a pinch of salt, take this with salt bay levels of salt. But they were talking about a million, which uh, is just... He's nowhere near worth that. No, that, and I, I that, That's more I than Pompey paid for Colby Bishop, so no, he's not worth that at all. Oh yeah, there were some weird rumours about Millwall today linked to... That, that was nonsense. <laughs> Absolute rubbish. They haven't got the money to throw at that, have they? I don't, I don't think, from what I know about their financial no. state. And, and like I said, I don't think Lang's a bad player, and I think it fulfils a need, and it offers something else up front. And on the wing, he's more of an aggressive attacker rather than a cooperative player. So if Pompey are chasing a game, he'd be very good to bring on. But I don't know. I'd have to look into him in more detail, Pierre, to be honest. I've already, I've already, obviously, the transfer speculation was only appeared today as we're recording. So It'd be to very Pompey to announce detail. it at like 11 o'clock tonight while the pod is still being... Oh, in. I just completely ruined the pod, obviously. But but we can't control that, can we? So. No, exactly. Um, he had very, he had very, he has very low expected goals per ninety rate as well from out wide, uh, it, including players out wide and up front. 
who had played at least 10 games, it didn't look brilliant. The, uh, what a lot of people were saying is that he's in a bit of a purple patch this season, been in and out the team, hasn't had a run at it. And that's why his production's dropped off. So we'll have to see, I suppose. I wouldn't think, yeah, I don't think it's a bad I, signing, but I think there might be more out there, to be honest. I think that there's only so much we can do with those metrics, though, because it's so dependent on other variables, like the system that an individual is being played in. Like I think we saw with Pigger, I think it might have been Pigger, who was at Ipswich before moving to us. Yeah, because he barely played. played didn't he? He, was, he was being slated by fans for not being a goal-scoring threat, but it's because he was being played in a one-up up top and made so isolated. And then as soon as he started playing in a, a two-up-top kind of role, look, looked a lot better. So, I mean, yeah, we can do so much with metrics. They're a useful indicator, but, I mean, as you say, if, if we sign him, we'll have to have a look a bit more at the systems he's been used in at Wigan and whether that has played to his strengths or whether he's been kind of utilised where they don't get the most out of him as an individual for the benefit of the overall team. But yeah, so that's our link there. Any other transfer or or similar news you want to do, Fred, before we do a quick breakdown of international duty feedback and then uh, look at Port Vale? Yeah, there's only another small bits and blobs, no more transfer stuff. Andrew Moon said something interesting on his musings today. Any club can have five loans in the match day squad, but as an overall, you can have as many as you like. I find that quite interesting. But if probably want to go aggressive on that route, I'd rather they didn't. But there we are. Ben Stevenson. We haven't seen him in ages, and that's because he's been injured. And that news came out a couple of days ago per Neil Allen. Ben Stevenson sustained a training training injury several weeks ago, and it was a lateral collateral ligament injury, or an LCL for short, in his knee. Senior said the injury came innocuously in training in a challenge. It's a bit of an unfortunate one. It's been one of those seasons. And that's why I haven't seen much of Stevenson. It's a shame because I've thought whenever he's come in, he's been a fairly solid Marlon Pack type centre midfielder. So not having that option is a bit gutting. Other players still injured. Obviously, Zach Swanson after the groin surgery, Tino Andrian after the torn hamstring, and then Alex Robertson, Regan Paul out for the season. Rafferty touch and go with the neck injury. Morel is expected to be back this Saturday for selection, according to Andrew Moon after a very hard challenge by Josh Veller in the Fleetwood game. So that's also something to consider. If Pompey are forced to play the back three again, if Morel is not fit, then you'd probably have to play Lowry Pack in the middle and then Sadie in one of the one of the positions behind the striker, which will be something. That, that feels a bit unbalanced to me. Yeah, literally. But, but we're running out of centre midfielders. Which is not, <laughs> it's not a problem we thought we'd have. Well, yes, yeah, so we've got is lots it? of centre midfielders, but a lot of them are injured, but, yeah. which is a shame. Or, or then you might have to play Devlin at right wing back if... Yeah, once yeah we should actually credit him for, for his performance. I thought he had a very good game. I thought yeah. he had a very good game at right wing back. I thought ta- in that game, I thought Towler also had a good game coming in. My man and match was Marlon, Marlon Pack. I thought he was imperious in that game with the assist, especially. Yeah, and I think credit to Towler, like it's not easy to come into a side cold like that after timeout, other than Bristol Street Motor Trophy. Is that right? Uh, I call it the stain on English football trophy. Uh, You call it that. I call it a potential trip to Wembley, (laughs) but not this season. (laughs) I'm so fickle. Anyway, so yeah, LCL injuries. Yeah, normally what, four to six weeks? It's nowhere near as long a layout as something like an ACL. But um, yeah, so we hope to see see Stevenson back back soon. Because as you say, when he's been given minutes, he's looked 
solid. He's not really had the opportunity to be spectacular, but he's he's, he's done the solid. role that was expected of him. He was brought in exactly. as a backup centre midfielder, more defensive backup centre midfielder. That's a pivot in the four two three one, and he's done it. Yeah, it's and not an overly glamorous role, but he's done it well when he's been called upon, as far as I'm concerned. Anything else before international duty? No, I think that's everything. That's all the major bits that have happened this week. Okay, in which case, brief shout out to two of our players currently on international duty. One of them literally currently on international duty playing uh, in AFCON. So we'll start with Cassini Yengi, who was in the starting eleven for Australia in their most recent Asia Cup game against Uzbekistan, or Asian Cup, I should say, against Uzbekistan, uh, which was a one-all draw. Uh, Yengi had a really good game, uh, was potentially Australia's most attacking player in that game. Can you get an assist if you're the one that sets up a penalty? I don't know if that counts as an assist or not. It's, but... not, it's, not, it's not given in the stats. It's just highly praised. Okay, well... Australia, and apparently that was nowhere near a penalty as well. Yeah, they were on the right side of the refereeing decisions in this game, shall we say. I'm still not entirely sure where the handball was that they got given a penalty for in this game. So Yengi showed a bit of skill and then sort of did a pullback for one of his, his teammates. Can't remember who the pullback was for, actually. I probably should be able to remember that. Uh, but yeah, made a pullback for one of his teammates who, who hit the shot wide. And the referee gave a penalty for handball. So uh, yeah, fair play. But yeah, had a bright game was one of the brightest sparks of a slightly dour Australian performance. Um, Uzbekistan also had a goal ruled out for borderline offside um, and then snuck an equaliser to draw 1-1. But Australia do go through as group winners above Uzbekistan, Syria and India. And I always think India should have a better football team than they do because there's over a billion people in that country. It's like China, but and both teams are dreadful. Both teams in, that, in, in this cup haven't scored. Either. It's very odd, isn't it? Considering the player pool, I guess there's not that interest because obviously India, you know, cricket is essentially a religion over there. But uh, football, just considering the in increase in the Indian football popularity, this is an absolute off-topic thing. But was it Carl Baker went and managed out in I want to say Mumbai after leaving? Lots Pompey. of players have gone to India to play in that Indian Premier League, and just, it's quite simply that it, it, it's big in some case. It's Football's big in some parts of India, like Goa, but then there are other parts that don't really care about football at all. And obviously, it's all about infrastructure, isn't it? Where yeah. you can have as many players coming into India as much as you like, but if there's no infrastructure for the young players to play or play to get to a higher standard, mm. it becomes a problem. You, you only get so much benefit from the top players learning from players who come in if the Youth cannabis and stuff aren't that good, then yeah, you won't create enough of them. Basically, I just I think it's so interesting compared to the the power that they wield with the BCCI in cricket, where they just bring in at or well, they they get to keep such a large proportion of the overall income of cricket, and they basically you know they run world cricket essentially, and then have such little input into world football. You know, the Indian Premier League in cricket is the showpiece, which is another rant for me for another day because Test cricket is the showpiece of cricket. T20 isn't the showpiece, but that's a, that's another rant for a different day. But um, yeah, and the Indian Premier League in football is, I mean, it's slowly growing in popularity, but it's not looking like it's going to take off. Anyway, we don't need to get sidetracked there. Great to see Cassini Yangi getting minutes in and hopefully we'll see him in the knockout stages for... Uh, for Australia in that tournament. Haji Minoga is lining up consistently for Tanzania in AFCON. So, as I mentioned earlier, as it stands, Tanzania are actually going out of that tournament. And the game, we're probably going to finish recording before the game finishes. 
But as it stands, they will have two points from three games and finish bottom of their group. But they're currently drawing nil-nil with the Democratic Republic of Congo uh, just starting the second half. If Tanzania win that game, they will leapfrog DR Congo and progress unless Zambia turn around a 1-0 deficit against Morocco, which is also currently going on. So, well, well, One quick thing about that. I've noticed uh, this might be just being BBC Sport being stupid, but the layout says that Minogue is playing on the right wing this time. For this game, yeah. Um, it looks he's like previously he's played as a wing back in a back three, hasn't he, most of the time? Yeah, so, so far he's been used as a, a right back in at some point on a back four and then a right wing back in a back three. But yeah, it looks like he's playing slightly further forward in this game. Um, but I mean, Tanzania, am I right in thinking they've never never won an AFCON game? Is that correct? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. I would That's assume so. Well, it was the same with Mauritania. Mauritania won their first AFCON game yesterday. I love AFCON. It's just so good. There's so many surprise results. Are you, it's just be awful to bet on. I don't I don't think I'd ever try and do an AFCON ACA. That's just a terrible idea. But I'm hoping Tanzania go through. I was going to wear, I've got a Tanzania shirt. I mean, an absolute knockoff Tanzania shirt that I bought from a, a flea market in Dar es Salaam. And the, yeah, I think I've said to you before, the logo came off after one wash, the, the Nike logo on the side or Adidas or whatever it was. So I'm not entirely sure it was legit. It cost me about £3.50. But I wear it with pride because I bought it in Tanzania, which is an incredible country. But um, yeah, it's nice to see Hadji getting some international minutes, playing in front of such big crowds in such a big tournament. It's only and against very beneficial. good players. Like against played, extremely he, good players. He's played twice against Morocco now, I think. Yeah, played um, against Egypt in the warm-up. He's playing against absolute world-class players. If they go through somehow, you know, you could be playing against Sadio Mane in the next couple of rounds. I mean, it's obviously looking like they're going to get knocked out at the moment unless they score. But yeah, they had a, a difficult second game. They were 1-0 up for the majority of their second game and then conceded late against 10 men, which is quite frustrating. But uh, if you're a Tanzania fan anyway. But yeah, we hope for a late winner for Tanzania and see Hadji progress as well into the knockout stages of AFCON. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good to see some Pompey faces not only being in international squads, but actually playing in, you know, starting in high-profile international tournaments. It's only going to be good for their uh, for their development. And I mean, Yengi's playing alongside Premier League players in that Australia side and other top division players from around the world. So it can't be a bad thing for us as long as uh, they don't both pull their calves in the next week or two. Yeah, touch wood, touch wood. Uh, Fred, shall we uh, move on and do a quick Port Vale preview? Yeah, let's do that. So they're currently 14th in the form table for League for League One clubs in their last 10 games. Three wins, three draws, four defeats. The most notable win is a 3-0 win against Blackpool, who I still think are a good side that are quite underachieving a little bit. But then they've had other results, such as a mad free-all draw against Charlton and losing 2-1 to Carlisle, who are currently in the relegation zone. Their best player is Ben Garrity, who I really like. Nine goals and two assists from midfield this season. Pretty much a warrior in, in midfield. Plays in the cam. Gets in your face, wins the ball back and takes proper shots. I really like him. Another productive forward they have is Ethan Chislett on the wing. Six goals, seven assists this season. He's been a major bright spark and is one of the threats out wide but aside from that they haven't had much else going forward they're a very solid defensive side so they're ninth in the league for with, for goals conceded with 38 but their expected goals against is 31.72 in total and that's the third best in the entire league it's an incredibly solid side they'll probably come up against it won't be easy at all but they've had problems going forward they've only scored 28 total goals but their total expected goals is 
and then they're fourth last for XG per shot as well. So they're not friendly entirely. So they're not creating clear-cut chances. That's their biggest issue. And it shows that a lot by their two top scorers being in midfield. Very good midfield technicians, but it appears like they're missing a striker. I think that's the main thing. But they are solid defensively. So it's going to be quite a tough game. It's not It's not going to be a walkover, I don't think. I expect it to be quite an attritional match, depending on how they set up against Pompey, I think. We seem to be coming up against a lot of teams at the moment who are coming into the game very fresh for various reasons. I think the Stevenage game, they had a game postponed before they played us, so they had extra rest time. Leighton Orient hadn't played for 12 days before they played against us. And Port Vale won't have played a league game since the 6th of January. So they've had pretty much what, three weeks off? Well, it will be three weeks off by the time we play against them. Because, I mean, they played, what, 15 minutes against Reading or 17 minutes against Reading before that game was postponed because of the very well-publicised protests on the pitch. But there's not a huge amount of minutes of game time in the bank for those Port Vale players. And I guess that could go one of two ways, but it does seem to be a trend I'm seeing in our fixtures at the moment. Yeah, if we're following on for the late Orient game, then it's a major issue. One big piece of news that Port Vale are coming in is that they've secured the loan of Manchester United prospect Dan Gore in midfield for the rest of the season, and he's very good. I know that Jack Oncott wanted him actually on load at Pompey so that showed how highly he rates him again playmaking playmaking midfielder who can put a tackle in and adding that to a a 3-4-3 could come quite dangerous I think so they've had a long rest they've brought in a very good potentially talismanic player or talismatic player probably the latter from talisman Okay, fine. And they got a couple of good, very good options in the field, and they got a solid back, solid centre half trio that can turn into a back five. So it's going to be very difficult, I think. The only caveat is they don't really have a striker who's, well, not like a Colby Bishop, not a prolific goal scorer, but it depends if they can make a lot of space for other teams. I still think it's quite difficult, but it, if we're harsh, for Pompey, it has to be three points again, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, for word etymologists, uh, it comes from the word telesma, I think, which is Greek for completion. In terms of Port Vale, I'm going to slightly ungeek myself here and go back to football. Yeah, we look like we're going to be coming up against a sort of a 3-4-3 or a, a 3-4-2-1, which is likely. As you say, it's a bit of a weird mixture of results for them. They started off the season, they were sort of first, second in the league after a few games, weren't they? They were alongside us and Stevenage setting the early pace and have just completely dropped off with some some pretty ordinary results. I mean, particularly that that three-all draw against Charlton. I mean, at the moment, it looks like a pretty poor result, and the 2-1 defeat against Carlisle looks like a pretty poor result. Uh, are you expecting quite an attritional game similar to the Fleetwood, or are you expecting something a little bit more open, like was it the Exeter game was fairly open, or like um, when... Seems like, you know, Stevenage or Leighton Orient come to Fratton. Uh, the former, I think. I think it's going to be very difficult, especially if Pompey are in the back three again, because you've got to keep in mind that the midfield's going to get very clogged, if that's the case. And then Pompey will have to try and bring it out wide, and it's going to have to be a lot of emphasis on moving off the ball. So, no, I think it's going to be a difficult game. Very difficult game. But one that Pompey can overcome, I think. They, they seem to start a little bit slower at home. So, they've only scored one goal at home in the first half an hour of all of their home games so far. Uh, so I think they are going to be vulnerable in that first 30. And then 
their goal scoring record improves as the game progresses for the most part at home. So they've got a positive goal scoring record in the 30th to the 45th minute and in the last 15, and then a pretty even goal scoring and conceding record for the time in between. But that first half an hour is the only, only time over the course of the 90 minutes, they've got a negative goal difference at home. So yeah, we're going to potentially have to start quick and take advantage of that fact, you would you would hope. But um, I'm so excited that we're going to be travelling up to Stoke for uh, another attritional, potentially not the, the most classic football game. But if it results in a, a 93rd minute winner, I'm all right with that. But they are, they're one of those teams that are comfortably stronger at home than away, aren't they? They're, their goal difference away is, is awful. They are one of only two teams in the league who have a negative goal difference for every single 15-minute segment away from home. Uh, it's them and Burton Albion are the only two teams who are that bad in every passage of the game away from home. So there are goals to be cons- uh, to be scored. But as you say, like, like most teams in this league, there are danger men that are capable of punishing you for small individual mistakes. So it's one of those, Fred. It's one of those classics. Proper League One football, as we would say. Oh, proper League One football. Hate it. I need to go up. I need promotion, Freddie. I need it in my life. I need it in my body. We all I need do. It in my Honest veins. to God, we all do. Just, oh. just, just for a change more than anything. Yeah, I was looking at. Uh, I was watching the our friends at Charlton Live. I was watching their emergency pod recording for uh, for Appleton leaving. Um, I've become very holistic League One this season. I've been watching stuff for a lot of teams. I, I don't know what's happened to me. But um, they were talking about how they feel Charlton have been dragged down to the level of of people around them. It's kind of like, uh, this isn't what they said, but they it's kind of like those in Mark Twain said, don't argue with uh, with idiots. They'll drag you down and beat you with experience. It kind of sounds like... It's a team that's playing down to their competition, isn't it? Because you look at their squad on paper and you think, God, how are they not doing any better? But... Yeah, they keep on switching managers. They keep on bringing in new, fa- high-profile new faces, and it still doesn't work. It's very, very odd. Yeah, their new signings looked knackered last night. Ladapo looked absolutely knackered, and Coventry, who's a very, also a very good player at this level, also went off subbed and looked absolutely knackered. But um, yeah, just sort of drawing the parallel there in terms of in terms of just wanting to get out of this league and and this year being potentially the one where we need to do that. Um, I'm feeling pressure, Fred. It's getting to the point in the season where uh, results really matter. I don't like it. It's, um, you know, at the start of the season where if you drop three points, it's like, ah, oh, it's annoying. But, you know, three points, everyone's only got nine points. It, turn, it turns around at the end of the season, you think, oh, why did we drop those three points in August or whatever it was? I just have this awful feeling we're going to look at those Cheltenham games and have a what if. Oh, don't remind me. Don't remind I have, me. Should we do the yeah. goal, should we do goal scorers prediction? Yes, absolutely. Let's do that and then uh, wrap up the podcast so I can put my clinically obese hamster back in her cage and uh, try and get yet more sleep um, to try and catch up because my watch is telling me that I'm dead to the world, my Garmin. So, yeah, goal scorers, goal prediction, please, Freddie. What are you thinking for Port Vale at home? I'm going to go with a 1-0 attritional Ports of win and I'm going to go for Miles Putt-Harris to score on his debut. Okay, so basically the same as Fleetwood but with a different goal scorer. Okay, um, I will go. I have a feeling Port Vale might score. I'll go with the 2 1 Pompey win, uh, hopefully with a, a late winner so we can have maximum limbs in the away end. Two Pompey goal scorers. Again, I got my goal scorer right last week. I predicted Kamara would score, buzzing with that. 
So this week I'll go with Bishop to get back on the goal on the score sheet because I think he is due and he is too good a player for the barren spell from outfield play to continue. And honestly, he's in the position now. It's like we used to say about Marquis at, from time to time. He just needs to want to go in off his ass at this point, and then he'll be back to the player that we've like, seen. Like a, like any striker. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just need the run of the rub of the green or the run of the ball. And uh, I think he's due that. He's had a bit of bad luck um, in front of goal with deflections and such like and split seconds not quite going his way. So I'll go for Bishop with one and uh, well, go with Kamara with the other because I think he's showing that he's not afraid to have a go now. As we saw, he's gaining that, gaining that confidence in front of goal after a few games of missing some quite good chances and putting some really good shifts in to get into those positions and then not quite being able to finish. So uh, hopefully we've hit a a bit of a, a turning point, a bit of a fulcrum for him in term, if that's the right word, in terms of in terms of his his goal scoring. Because we've seen some of his finishes this season. That one against Fleet was a really good finish. Was it Peterborough as well? Was it Peterborough or Wick- Peterborough? He scored an absolute banger of a goal. So we know he's got the finishing in him. It's just the composure aspect in those split seconds that I think he's learning through experience. Cool. I think that wraps it up, Freddie. I've been t- I was teaching sixteen-year-olds for five hours today, and now I've because uh, we had a, a key stage five engagement day, showing them what universities are like. So I've heard my own voice for five hours. Then hated hated the sound of my own voice doing that, and then uh, talked for another hour and twenty minutes, or hour and however about an hour tonight. I am going to go mute until I don't know. I think I've got a music thing tomorrow lunchtime. I have to go and talk at. So uh, I'm going to have twelve to fourteen hours of. Resting the vocal cords. Freddie, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you in uh, the, what is it, the mecca of League One football that is Stoke on Saturday. It'll be lovely to see you. Yeah, no, it'll be nice to see you, Andy. And yeah, nice to be on the pod again. And uh, yeah, we get to enjoy all the bits of Burslem that we can see when we're there. All roads lead to Stoke, Freddie. Um, <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> but yeah, looking forward to it. Take care. Have a lovely rest of your week. Thank you very much for listening. I hope everyone who is listening and has got to this point has had an enjoyable week so far. Uh, If you are also making the trip up to Port Vale away, safe travels. I know quite a lot of you listen on the trip up. So if you are driving or getting the train up at the moment, I hope you're having a safe one. And uh, we will see you soon. We will speak to you next week on the pod. So Hugh, get well soon. And until next time, play up Pompey.